Good morning, y'all. My name is Dylan Braddock, and I serve as the student coordinator here at The Story. And let me tell you, that video was so fun to make. Me and my wife, Jessica, we moved down to Houston in January with our two dogs, Hopkins and Blaze. And we are so excited to be a part of this city and to be a part of this church community. It has been a great experience, and that was one of the highlights. Um, but I asked Nathan if he would stick around for a few minutes this morning. Because last week, Pastor Eric started sharing part of your story. So I was wondering if you, if you could go into more details about your senior year and into college and how you went through some periods of disappointment and disruption. Yeah, yeah. My past uh, graduating high school was had some big rocky moments, some big yeah. periods of disruption. Uh, and I'd love to share. I, my dream coming out of high school was, was to go to Rice here in Houston. I grew up in Corpus Christi, and, and my uncle went to Rice and told me about it, and, and my dad really planted this dream in my head of going to Rice uh, and becoming an engineer. Hmm. And uh, so I went full force towards that and didn't get in. <laughs> so that was the first big disruption. Uh, I thought it was the biggest injustice in yeah. the world at the time. I was so upset. Uh, looking back, I just wasn't that good of an applicant, actually. <laughs> I thought I was a lot smarter than I was. But I went to the local uh, college and, and got good grades. And I was actually able to transfer. So I came to Rice as a sophomore. And I think to myself, uh, my dreams, my plans are back on track. So I get up to Rice. And I love the social, social scene. I make mm -hmm. good friends. But as we get into the actual classes, I learn pretty quickly that um, my persona as the smart kid in Corpus um, was not true <laughs> on the Rice campus. Mm. Uh, compared to those geniuses, I was... Yeah in the bottom, I was failing some of my classes. Uh, and I'm realizing as I get into these classes that I had actually never figured out what it meant to be an engineer. I just heard that was a good thing to do. And so I just started telling everybody, oh yeah, my dream is to be an engineer. Yeah. And so as I get into my rice semester, my, my plans are pretty quickly unraveling because I'm realizing I don't really have much of a footing for, mm. for all these things I've been saying are my dreams. and and. It was in this season of, of starting to get really stressed, uh, starting to get really unsure, that I got uh, caught in one of my classes making a big academic mistake. I plagiarized a portion of a paper. I was up late one night and, and made a bad choice. And yeah. they caught me. And they, they rightfully suspended me for a whole year. Um, and I had to move off campus within 48 hours and mm. tell all my friends this really embarrassing thing that happened to me. Yeah. Um, it was totally my own fault. Yeah. And so my whole plans were upended in that moment. And, and I'm not even allowed to come back on campus for that entire year. So everyone I know in Houston is in this area I can't even visit. And I'm, I'm totally broken. I'm totally isolated. Having to figure out what does life look like now. Yeah. And that season of disruption uh, lasted a little bit longer than the first one. <laughs> yeah, man, that's brutal. So what did God show you during this period? Where did he lead you? So the first few months, I'm not going to lie, were, were pretty rough. I felt pretty lonely. I moved into an apartment with some guys I hardly knew because literally all of my friends were at Rice. Um, but God started to show up and he started, started to make his presence really known in that year uh, that I was suspended. He provided uh, some really incredible new friends, and they invited me to a church where I was able to get on the worship team. Mm. 
And this rekindled my love for music. All of a sudden, I had all this free time that yeah. I'd never had in my <laughs> life before, being a, a nerdy kid. Yeah. And so I start writing songs. I start playing every Sunday on the worship team with these new friends. They get me into a Bible study. Every Friday night, we hung out for hours and hours and, and studied Romans, and we get frozen yogurt. And, and these were just great friends. And I would have never met them if not for that season of disruption. And so by the end of that year, I was so confident that God was, sh was showing up, even through my mistakes, mm -hmm. even through seasons that I had never planned that I was so upset about. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to share two quick takeaways that I got from that season of my life. Uh, for graduates, for, for y'all in the youth group, or even just anyone that's feeling like their plans were totally disrupted right now. Mm -hmm. uh, and the first one is to hold your plans loosely. Mm -hmm. I, I held everything so tight. I was so sure of what I needed to do in my life. But when that was disrupted, something so much better was planted and came along. Led me to where I am now, which I'm so thankful for. Yeah. And the second lesson is to trust God's timing. You're never going to know exactly what he is producing in your life. But you can trust that he's good, that he is working, even in intense disruptions. I'm so thankful to to have ended up here, and I would have never planned it, but yeah. here I am. So, man, thank you for sharing that story, and I'm I'm glad you're here. Yeah. I'm glad you're here leading us in worship today. So, thank you for sharing. Absolutely, Dylan. I'll let you get to preaching, man. <laughs> cool. Thank you, dude. First and foremost, this morning, I want to congratulate our seniors. You met Andrea and Weston in that video we just watched but they represent several other graduates from colleges and other grad programs who call the story home. I hope this morning that you all feel loved, honored, and recognized by your story family. And I want you to know that no, ma no matter how far you go, you will always have a church home here with us. If you don't know Andrea and Weston, I'm really glad you got a chance to meet them for a couple minutes in that video. As you heard them explain in the interview, these seniors have missed a lot in many rites of passages this spring. Prom, canceled. Gradua graduation, canceled. College orientations have been moved online, and some of them don't even know if they will even be able to physically attend classes this fall. This spring was supposed to be a, a time of celebration and encouragement and hanging out with friends, before they went their separate ways. But instead, the spring, in many ways, has been a disappointment. One thing that caught me off guard this past week when filming this video was how much it meant to me. Seeing those cars drive by the road, honking, yelling, screaming, holding up signs, it almost brought tears to my eyes. And it took everything in me in that moment not to give our seniors just big, giant bear hugs, because I was so proud of them. I was so proud of them. I texted Kale as we were leaving, and I said, Kale, this has easily been one of my favorite moments here at the story. After reflecting even more, I realized that this uh, filming was meaningful to me as well because the seniors were not the only ones who needed a pick-me-up. COVID-19 has been an unprecedented disruption. And as Andrea said in the video, she feels robbed of many of her, the experiences of her senior year. I would go further to say that this virus has robbed all of us in some way. 
When I accepted this position as student coordinator back in December, started part-time in January and full-time in March, I had no idea the reality I'd be working in today. In my first few days here at the church, I started planning a summer camp and started planning a mission trip, a men's mission trip to the Dominican Republic. Now I was a little behind because usually we plan these things in the fall, but I got right to work calling parents, planning, sending emails, and even collecting money. And then in the matter of a couple days in March, all of my plans came crashing down and I fell into this fog of disappointment. For student ministers like me, the summer is usually our peak season. All school year, our students are busy with homework, tests, football, basketball, lacrosse, chess club, debate club, and all these various extracurricular activities they're in. We're lucky if we see them two or three times a month. Suddenly in the summer, they're free. We can grab lunch or grab a snow cone or whole weeks and weekends are free so we can plan mission trips and go on summer camp. These are the moments that student ministers live for as we get to pull our kids out of their routine and soak them in the gospel. The problem is, because of COVID-19, instead of now planning a summer camp, I have been stuck at home, stuck at home, rewatching six seasons of Lost, playing a train simulator called Railroad Tycoon, and getting way, way, way too into a show called 90 Day fiance. Instead of hanging out with students, shooting hoops, we've been doing virtual trick shot challenges. And to be honest, we are all growing weary of Zoom and we all just desire to be in the same room with one another. This last few weeks have been especially tough for me as I have come to the conclusion that I will not be able to accomplish some of my goals and some of my dreams that I set for myself this summer. And with that came real disappointment. My identity was so wrapped up in my own plans and my own goals that when I lost those things, I forgot who I was for a bit. And if we are all being real this morning, it's not just me and it's not just these seniors who are struggling with disruption. All of us to varying degrees are dealing with disappointment right now, this morning. While the the novel coronavirus is new, disruption is not. Disruption has been here as long as time, and I promise you, we will encounter it again. The question for us this morning is the same question that Eric asked us last week. Will we cling to what we had in the past? Or will we embrace this present moment and flourish in the new place God is leading us? The good news for us this morning is if we look into our Bibles, we read countless stories of of disruption and the people of God being in uncertainty. One of the best examples of thriving and disruption might actually come from a passage that is very popular this time of year, and it was incredibly popular in the Christian subculture I grew up in. You know, the kind that wore cargo shorts, and listened to Christian heavy metal bands and wore shirts that looked like the Mountain Dew logo, but instead of saying Mountain Dew, it said Jesus meant to die for you. Yep, those are real, I promise. I might've had one. But this verse, this very popular verse, 
Jeremiah 29, 11. And it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. This is one of those hallmark verses, which can be found hanging above baby cribs and on Pinterest boards all across the nation. While this verse does sound really nice and looks really good on a graduation card, part of me wonders if sometimes we take it a little out of context. Sometimes we think it means that nothing bad will ever happen to us or that God will help us accomplish our plans for our life. This verse is so popular that it's even received the meme treatment, with this one being my favorite. It's the condescending waka. And he says, Jeremiah 29:11. Oh, is that about you? Tell me about your time in the Babylonian exile. While this meme is funny to a seminary grad and Bible nerd like me, it does contain some truth. While Jeremiah 29 is hopeful, most people overlook the whole exile thing that comes right before it. Jewish writer Abraham Heschel, in his signature work in the prophets, writes this. The significance of Israel's prophets lies not in what they said, but also in what they were. We cannot fully understand what they meant to say unless we have some awareness of what happened to them. So today, this morning, I want us to look at Jeremiah 29 as a whole and dig a little deeper into this passage so we can learn what happened to this prophet and his people. And if we do so, I think this graduation text might actually have something to say to us today as people living through a worldwide pandemic. In the book of Jeremiah, the prophet is writing to the nation of Judah. Now, Judah is one of the two nations that split off of the United Nation of Israel that we know and love that was led by David and Solomon. After they split in 930, the northern nation formed Israel, um, and that consisted of about 10 tribes, but they only lasted for about 200 years before they were completely destroyed and almost lost in history by Assyria. The southern nation, Judah, found a little bit more success, and they believed this was because of Jerusalem and their holy temple. They truly believed that God was on their side and no foreign invader could ever disrupt them. This mirage didn't last long though, because as the nation of Babylon grew stronger and eventually defeated Assyria, the nation of Judah became weaker. Bad king after bad king ruled over Jerusalem and the empire began to fall. In 597 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon grew weary of Israel and them hanging out with Egypt, their rival. So King Nebuchadnezzar and his whole army besieged Jerusalem, took the city, exiled the monarchy, and installed his own puppet king to rule over them. Now this puppet king didn't do too well and only nine years later, King Nebuchadnezzar came back to Jerusalem in 587 BC and completely decimated the city. He destroyed the temple, he leveled their homes, and he sent all of the people in exile into a completely foreign land. What's really interesting about this period of biblical history, especially for nerds like me, 
is we actually have lots of archaeological evidence supporting this time period and supporting these stories. One such piece is in the British Museum, which houses an incredible collection of Assyrian and Babylonian artifacts. The one that's especially relevant today is Babylonian Chronicle 5, which is also called Nebuchadnezzar's Chronicle. This tablet actually describes Jerusalem's first invasion by King Nebuchadnezzar. This tablet reads, In the seventh year, in the month of Kislamu, the king of Akkad mustered his troops, marched to the Hattai land, and besieged the city of Judah. He seized the city and captured its king. He appointed there a king of his own choice, received its heavy tribute, and sent it to Babylon. So as you can see, the biblical narrative of King Nebuchadnezzar, who is described as Jeremiah by the destroyer of nations, is actually supported by archaeology. Sometimes, since these biblical stories are so old, especially the Older Testament ones, I feel like we lump them into a category of myth and legend, like the stuff of Odyssey or Iliad. But that's simply not the case. These Old Testament stories of God and God's people are not myth, but they're true. And I believe if we read them, we can learn wisdom on how to respond to our own situations today. So, how can we? learn from the nation of Judah and their own exile. As you can understand or imagine, the trauma caused by the destruction of Jerusalem and their temple was major. Just think about it. Judah's whole way of life revolved around the temple. This is where their holy relics were kept. This is where they made their offerings and sacrifices. And most of all, this temple was where the presence of God resided. The temple was a sign of protection and presence. And now a foreign king had walked in and destroyed it. Now in exile, their whole rhythms of life and their whole patterns of worship were robbed from them and they faced disruption. This uncertainty, this kind of disruption, it sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Now, this pandemic and social distancing is not the same as the total destruction of our cities and exile into a foreign land. But what we are going through right now might be the closest thing some of us have ever experienced. This might be the closest form of disruption that we have ever seen. We can also admit that the paradigm shift that Judah faced moving from the temple to exile might inspire us as our own church changes during this crazy pandemic. Now that we have finally set this passage in context, let us read from Jeremiah chapter 29, verses four through seven. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all of those are carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build homes and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity to the city to which I have carried you into exile. 
Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. The prophet's instructions to those in exile is surprisingly to build homes, to plant gardens, to get married, to raise a family, to increase and to bless their new neighbors. He doesn't let them wallow in their sadness and sorrows, but basically says, go on, go and live your lives. Now, this probably wasn't as easy for Israel to hear as they naturally wanted to go home and long to return to their old ways of worship and their old ways of doing things. But God called them to be present right where they were at. Even though it was uncomfortable and even though it was different, that's where God had carried them. Are we not in a similar situation today? Things are uncertain and we can't fill up the sanctuary like we used to three months ago. But God calls us to keep on living. And more than that, he calls us to flourish and seek the welfare of those around us. I will be the first to admit that it's easy to long for the way things used to be and to wish we could have a time machine and go back a couple months. I felt that way for weeks. But trust me, longing for things to be different will only paralyze us and hold us back and stop us from moving forward. Over the last few weeks, I have realized that my own disappointment and my own inability to move on was due to my own lack of trust. I wasn't trusting that God can make something good come out of the situation. In my disappointment of my plans falling through, I couldn't see that even though things are different, God is certainly still working among us. We are all in the position now where we have to trust God more than we had to in the past. Now that our jobs, our stock markets, our savings accounts aren't keeping us safe, we have to realize that God is the one thing we can rely on. We're coming closer to understanding Paul's words in Philippians 3, 8, when he says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost everything. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Paul himself, who is likely writing from prison, in his own form of quarantine, is reminding us that our accomplishments and our possessions are worthless when compared to knowing Christ. When all of this stuff is taken away and we lose control, we are left in a place where we have to rely on God, where we have to have radical dependence in our Lord. This is one thing that disruption shows all of us. Then the end of the day, God is the only one we can put our trust in. For me, it meant letting go of my traditional plans for the summer and moving on and being creative and looking to where God might be leading me. What do you need to let go of this morning so you can move forward? I have been reminded that faith is trusting in God even when things don't go the way we originally drew them up. The faith of those in disruption calls us 
to build our foundation on God and his love and know that he will carry us through like he has done since the beginning of time. After trusting, the next step, the next step for those in disruption is adapting and seeking new ways to flourish wherever God is leading us. And if you look at ourselves and we look at Christian history, we see countless examples of Christians adapting and changing with the times to spread God's message of love to the world. This is why I'm so glad that Nathan started off our time by sharing his story of disruption and disappointment. Once Nathan was removed from rice and he had that year of unknown, he had to fully trust in God. But in that time of trust and dependence, look where it took him. He would have never imagined leading worship at a church like the story, but he chose to flourish in his exile. And if you listen to the songs he writes, you can hear the echoes of that pain and loneliness. But more importantly, you can hear how God has carried him through. Nathan's story teaches us that God often uses disruption to lead us to new opportunities. And Jeremiah 29, the prophet teaches us the exact same thing. God's message to those in exile is not doom and gloom, but God calls his people to flourish. He calls them to go to this new land and to build homes and to plant gardens and to raise families. You know, the word flourish or the word for seek the welfare is actually shalom. The Old Testament word is shalom. So Judah is really called to seek the shalom, which means the peace, prosperity, wholeness, and reconciliation of all of those around them. Hugh Welchel, who is the executive of the director of Faith, Works, and Economics, helps us understand this Old Testament idea of flourishing by comparing it to what we as a society today often think of. He says, Biblical flourishing is missional, priestly, and outward focused, motivated on spreading God's glory throughout the earth. This is my favorite part. We flourish when we help other people flourish. The cultural view of flourishing is self-focused, inwardly fixated, and all about us. Ouch. This comparison kind of hurts, doesn't it? But I think it's true. When God's talking about flourishing, he's not talking about us getting that promotion that we've been working for for forever or monetary gain. But he is talking about us sharing peace, prosperity, and reconciliation with those around us. Jeremiah suggests in this passage that disruption presents a new opportunity for mission. Here for Judah, they have a new opportunity to spread God's shalom to their new neighbors and exile. Yes, it would look different. And yes, it would be different than the way things were back home. But they worshiped the same God in exile that they did in Jerusalem. And we too are worshiping the same God right now, this morning in our living rooms that we were worshiping here three months ago. We too, through this disruption, have been given a new opportunity to flourish and seek God's shalom in 2020.
So what has flourishing looked like for me over the past few months? At times, it has literally looked like me and my wife and my dogs going into our backyard and planting an herb garden. At times, it has looked like me FaceTiming friends I haven't talked to in months and me asking them how I could pray for them. At times, it has looked like me investing in individual relationships rather than focusing on the big picture so much. It has led me to sticking around after small group was officially over to play Super Smash Brothers and visit people's islands on Animal Crossing and play games of Pictionary hours after we were done meeting. It has even looked like me transforming my kitchen into a restaurant and my living room into a movie theater while my wife was at work so she could come home and we could have a special date night together in the house. What? has flourishing looked like for you? And what will it look like over the next few months? As Eric said last week, we are all now the pastors of our own congregations. We at The Story will help you. We will give you the tools you need to succeed, but it's on you to overlook the health of your flock. It's on you to share the sermon links on Facebook. It's on you to start Facebook watch parties. It's on you to maybe invite friends over to your home one day to worship and watch the sermon together. It's on you to get your family involved in one of the meaningful outreach opportunities in our community and beyond. It's on you to have real faith conversations with your family and pray over your kids and sing hymns to them as you tuck them into bed. This season will not last forever. How will you remember this time when you look back on it months, years, or decades from now? Now, let us hear Jeremiah's final encouragement to the nation of Judah. He says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back from this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You know, in Jeremiah's time, there were false prophets saying that this disruption would be over in a year or two. Jeremiah had to correct them and say, eh, Try 70 years. But yes, in the end, God will come through and save his people. This reminds me of a couple weeks ago on Facebook on an episode of Coffee with the Pastors when someone asked Pastor Eric and Pastor Gio when they thought we would worship together in person again. Now, this became a game in the chat. And as you can see, I naively guessed May 10th would be the date we'd be all back here together. Well, if you were here right now on May 24th, you would see that is definitely not the case. I obviously don't know when this disruption will be over. And the truth is, none of us do. And I definitely cannot give you a firm date on when things will be back to normal again. But if you look at Jeremiah, that's not really what Jeremiah did either. He didn't promise that this suffering would end quickly. That's not the point of Jeremiah 29, 11. The point is, despite the suffering, despite the exile, despite the uncertainty, 
we can put our hope in God and God's eternal plans for us. Not our own ways, not our own maps, not our own things we've drawn out, but God's and God's alone. So as we close this morning, what can I promise you? I can promise you that in this disruption, you can trust God. Even though you may be walking through this valley of disappointment and disruption, I promise you that you can trust in God and his ways and his goodness. Because God can still use this situation for his glory. And as we talked about in our after series, one day we will all be with Christ and we will all be with the ultimate source of love. We can count, we can bet on that. If you haven't put your trust yet in God this morning and you are struggling in this season with the weight of uncertainty and anxiety, and disappointment, I pray that today is the day that you put your trust in the one thing that will never let you down. You put your trust in the one savior who came down to earth and lived a perfect life of love for us and died for us and rose three days later. Put your trust in Jesus and Jesus alone because he is the one thing that will never let us down. What is required of us now is to wait in patient trust. If you have put your trust in God, And in this season, you are struggling with the grief of what has been lost. I pray that we as a church move on so that we can flourish and that we can spread God's shalom to the city of Houston. That means we will have to learn new skills. That means we will have to step up and learn how to minister to people in a time as a place such as this. We need to flourish and seek the welfare of those around us and shine the light of Christ to a city and to a world that so desperately needs it. My friends at the story Houston, will we adapt and will we be bold and courageous and led by the spirit and go wherever God is leading us? And lastly, for my seniors, for our seniors joining us this morning, I pray that you feel loved and encouraged and supported and recognized. And as you begin this next step of your journey, whether that means going to college or beginning to look for jobs, I pray that you see this place as an opportunity to follow God in his dreams for your life, which are so much greater than anything we could ever plan. Don't let this disruption defeat you. But I pray that we all may flourish in this exile and live life to the fullest. Would y'all pray with me? Holy Lord, we are so thankful for this day. We're thankful for this community and the love and these walls and the living rooms all across the city, God. I pray for all of us who are struggling with disappointment and disruption. Part of us just wants to go back to the way things were, but God, we know you are doing something new and mighty among us and something new and wonderful in this city. So I pray you let us join you in the work you are already doing, God. I pray you lay opportunities before us and we follow you wherever you might be leading. I pray specifically for our seniors, 
for our graduates, those who have worked so hard, God. I pray that you show them beautiful paths and lead them beyond still waters into the beautiful future you are creating for all of them. In Jesus' name, amen.